everyone, my name is Caden Jansen, and you are listening to the Everything Podcast, a podcast about everything. So today is a very special day because we will be interviewing one of the smartest people I know, my social studies teacher, Neil. Um, we will be talking about genetic modification, social credit systems, and we'll also touch on how that all wraps into ethics and, you know, whether or not some of those things are ethical. Um, so first let me just give you a basic explanation of genetic modification. Um, I mean, to put it in the most basic of terms, it is what it sounds like. It's modifying genetics. Um, and the way that they do this, mostly, um, not exclusively, but mostly, is with a technology called CRISPR, which stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. Which, no, I did not remember. I have notes. Um, so, basically, this was discovered on accident. And Neil will talk a little bit more about this. Um, but they discovered a bacteria that can record and edit DNA. Um, and they kind of harnessed the power and idea of this bacteria. And they were able to use it to edit DNA however they wanted. Um, and this technology has already been used in China. Um, and so basically in China, um, two children were genetically modified to be immune to the HIV virus. Um, now obviously we can't test this because that would involve exposing them to HIV and that is like just terrible and completely unethical. Um, but they have been genetically modified to be immune to the HIV virus if they do ever encounter that on their own. Um, so then the next thing that we're going to be talking about is social credit systems. Now, if you've ever seen Black Mirror, you might have seen the episode entitled Nosedive, where the main character Lacey lives in this society where um, they rate each other based on their interactions, and, you know, you get a credit score, and that affects, like, what kind of jobs you're able to get, you know, things like that. Um, and that's kind of like a basic idea of what a social credit system could look like. However, China has a similar system that is controlled by the government and not individuals, um, which is crazy to think about, but yeah, it's an actual thing already in China. Um, and so one of the crazy things is right now in China, it's not mandatory to be a part of this social credit system. However, by 2020, it will be mandatory for all citizens of China to participate in this social credit system. Now, whether or not this is ethical is something that can be argued, and I will be discussing this with Neil, so I'm going to go ahead and bring him in, and we will be right back. All right, so now I have Neil with me, and uh, we're going to jump right into the interview. Um, so what can you tell us about CRISPR and how it was discovered? So CRISPR is a biological technology where it was discovered by mistake. Uh, it is a piece of a bacteria 
that reads incoming DNA that is found within the cell and it reads to see if the DNA is harmful and if it is then it uh, starts dealing with the uh, the DNA. It's, it's meant to be a kind of recording of uh, invasive viruses and other uh, bacteria that uh, is invading that bacteria. And the scientists were able to, uh, when they discovered this mechanism, they realized eventually that they could program it to be able to move along DNA and start being able to make precision cuts in the DNA uh, unlike previous techniques of being able to manipulate DNA which was uh, did not have that precision right and so once they had discovered that they have now been refining it over time and they've been able to use the technology to uh, start uh, creating therapies for health-related reasons. Right, and um, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, in China they genetically modified two children um, to be immune to the HIV virus, correct? Yes, and so um, in China they went ahead and uh, they knew that the mother had HIV and she was pregnant and uh, they were able to modify the newly emerging, it might not even have been an embryo at that point, so that it would have specific genetic instructions that have already been shown to make give you an immunity to HIV. And what was dramatic about that is that First, it was modifying a human being um, before they were born. And also the modification is something that will be able to be passed down to that person's children. So when this baby was born and then grows up, they can pass on that immunity. And that is, it created a lot of controversy because uh, there are all sorts of ethical implications around experimenting on human beings and the impact that it has not only on that one individual but on generations afterwards. Right. And there's another type of gene editing that isn't um, carried down through generation, right? Well, I mean, not being a scientist, my precision on it is not as uh, as good as I'd like to say, but broadly speaking, what you do is you take existing DNA from a patient. You then go in and modify that DNA. Now, is it being done with CRISPR or being done with some of the other methods? I think it could be done either way, depending on what needs to happen. And then you take that 
patients modify DNA and then you introduce it back into their body and then it propagates through their body and it provides um, some kind of benefit, relief, maybe even a cure for whatever it is that is a, uh, the health problem that they're having. Right. And so I think, you know, the current uses of CRISPR and other genetic modification technologies um, are good because we're using it to cure disease and prevent disease. Um, but what are some of the future implications like, you know, using it to change eye color, hair color, physical attributes? So that is uh, what many people are concerned about is that as the technology is refined and CRISPR right now is not 100% reliable. It's, it has a lot of reliability, but it hasn't been refined to the point where uh, they just expect every single uh, use of it is doing exactly what they want. But that's being refined. They're working out the kinks. And so over time, uh, you're going to have a much more precise tool. And also what's happening over time is that we are discovering more and more ways in which the human genome functions. And so uh, we know some things about how our DNA provides instructions to our bodies, but we still have a long ways to go. And oftentimes a particular human trait actually involves hundreds of genes. It's not just one thing that needs to be changed. But once again, as time advances, uh, we're going to have a better and better understanding of how all the pieces fit together and how to edit them. And at a certain point, you can have a situation where you can have a designer baby. You can go to a doctor and you can, uh, like a, a couple could go to a doctor and provide the egg and sperm and the lab will then be able to modify that uh, fertilized egg in whatever way that they have knowledge of. And so that would, uh, so the, the common kinds of um, talking points is like, as you said, it's like you could go, well, what eye color do you want? And what hair color? So there's all sorts of like, um, visible traits, but it could also extend into um, athletic potential, um, intelligence. Uh, so what you can do is you can get to a point where you can not only choose how it is that your child is going to end up eventually looking, but you can also modify humans in such a way where they become enhanced and that enhancement may potentially go past what um, humans normally expect the average person is going to have. And so there's a lot of controversy over that because it can create a situation where um, people that have the resources to do this editing are going to then have offspring that will be um, either biologically superior or and or socially superior and that can create further inequalities in the world 
And um, that was my follow-up question was, you know, how do you think that having genetically modified humans and uh, designer babies is going to affect the future of society in American culture? And, you know, do you think that this will have a negative effect on people's self-esteem, you know, if they're not genetically engineered? It could definitely have an effect on people's self-esteem because if you start creating um, a system where uh, people have are, are more naturally talented or are able to get more social capital because they just um, uh, are have physical attributes that more people prefer, um, then uh, you have a situation where there's going to be greater demand for that. And so uh, you can have a setup where those with the resources will be able to invest in getting their offspring to in some way be seen socially as superior and those who do not have these uh, augmentations uh, could be felt, uh, feel like they're left behind and that could impact how our economy works. Mm -hmm. And so there is a movie called Gattaca that came out in the 1990s that actually addresses all of this. Hmm. It, it assumes a world where genetic engineering has already worked itself out and you're already deep into that world. Um, and now you have people that are adults. And so uh, corporations that, uh, high profile corporations are really only hiring for the well-paying jobs, people that have the genetic engineering because they mm -hmm. are just looking for someone who is going to be as reliable as possible to do whatever complex tasks they want and there is another whole class of people that were not genetically engineered and they're left to do low-paying jobs and are shut out from being able to aspire to things that they might actually want to do mm -hmm. and so the story is about someone who is um, not genetically engineered who is trying to secretly pass off as a genetically engineered person uh, and so that's a wonderful movie to kind of um, illustrate a lot of the tensions of where we could go. Now, in terms of American culture, there is a lot of awareness around uh, genetic engineering in the sense that uh, our institutions are being very cautious about it. And uh, so I would expect that in the early stages there's going to be further legislation that is going to restrict it but that doesn't necessarily mean that other countries will have those kind of restrictions and so then you get into a situation where on a global scale you might have some countries gaining benefits of having augmented populations um, and then all of a sudden that competition kicks in and it puts pressure on every country to in some way allow it or manage it in a looser way than maybe the way we would be comfortable with today. Now, you know, some of that sounds relatively scary, um, but what can 
maybe even be a little scarier or the same level of scariness is what's called the social credit system. Yes. Um, and now you showed us in class a Black Mirror episode entitled Nosedive, where the main character, Lacey, um, lives in a society where people rate each other one to five stars based on their interactions with each other, and it affects things like, you know, rental cars, whether or not you're able to fly in a plane, you know, things like that. And, you know, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's crazy, future, sci-fi, whatever. And then you brought up, in China, there is already a similar system called Sesame Credit. Um, so can you just explain a little bit more on how that works in China and what their system is like? So in China, they have been developing this system called Sesame Credit, where uh, people's data that is already being generated by smartphones and cameras um, and other other government documents are all being consolidated in such a way that they're all going to be um, all that data is going to be put into a score and in terms of the United States, the closest thing that we have to something like that is your uh, credit score for being able to, say, get loans or get credit cards. Uh, and so if you have a really high credit score here, it allows you to get, uh, it either allows you to get a loan or it allows you to get a loan with a very low interest rate. Um, the Chinese system is going way past that and it is consolidating uh, all of your purchases. Uh, it is consolidating the kind of information that you uh, put out online. It's, it is consolidating your credit, record, uh, credit reports. Um, Basically, everything that they can do to pin down and funnel into the score they're doing, the point is to provide incentives to the population to do things that the government uh, sees as being beneficial to society, but it also means because it's a the, the Chinese government is run by a one-party system. It's beneficial to that single party. Uh, and so uh, if you were to contrast it with the Black Mirror of Nosedive, where the scores were basically being generated by each person rating each other, this one is coming from the top down, where the government is basically defining what is positive and what is negative, and then is using those um, parameters to uh, rank people as to how high of a score they have. And then once again, if you have a high score, then you have easier access to credit, um, you can travel easier, uh, you have access to better jobs, um, there's all sorts of benefits to having a high score. And so once again, it's providing an incentive for people to fall in line with what the government deems is acceptable. 
So what sorts of things can reduce or increase your score? I mean, one thing that stood out to me in class was you mentioned like something as simple as buying junk food instead of a salad can lower your score. Uh, yes. So uh, as they were kind of saying um, in some of the information we went over in class, um, if you are purchasing things that are responsible things that are going to make sure that your health is maintained or that you're benefiting your family in some kind of way, such as buying diapers, um, probably if you're buying vegetables and so on, then uh, that information is recorded and you're getting positive scores to that. If you're buying too much alcohol, I'm sure if you're buying cigarettes and so on, items that are going to be detrimental to your health in the long run, then you're getting a lower score. And so the interesting thing is, is in the United States, we have systems like that in place with like sin taxes. So uh, in Vermont, uh, like buying one pack of cigarettes is over $10. Um, and most of that is from the taxes that the state applies to it. And so we do these things, but we're not consolidating all that information and then summarizing the person in that one score. Whereas with the Chinese government, what they want to do is consolidate that information and make it so that uh, they can respond to individuals and provide direct incentives and penalties to individuals um, in a way that doesn't exist in the United States. Hmm. So, I mean, do you think a system like this could ever exist in the United States? Or do you think that culturally we are, you know, just not a culture that would accept a system like this? I, I think in some very broad ways, the Chinese culture, which is uh, emerging from uh, a very long time being influenced by Confucianism, which... Uh, established clear hierarchies and an emphasis on family and an emphasis on social order the social credit system does dovetail with a lot of those cultural lessons that uh, Chinese people have learned for centuries and so there's probably more acceptability to it um, whereas in the United States, we have uh, a culture that emphasizes more of the individual and has a suspicion of government. And so there's going to be more of a resistance. Now, one of the things that's happening, though, is that as we go deeper and deeper into the use of um, social networks, phone technology and the Internet of Things, and we have now cameras and microphones in our homes recording things, and a huge amount of information is coming, is being gathered about us, um, I can see that some of these elements um, of the Chinese social credit system could after a very long time, work their way into our culture and have an acceptability because it's already happened. If you went back 40 or 50 years and took someone from that time, say an older person from that time, and brought them 
to today and explain to them all the ways that we are ignoring our privacy the way they valued it back then. Uh, there's many people in the past that would be utterly horrified. And so I think that in subtle ways, we can have some of these systems slowly emerge in our culture and find an acceptability because we were already doing that. That that uh, reduction in our sense of our own personal privacy is being reduced because the technology is becoming so convenient that you just hand wave away a lot of your privacy. And it's been shown uh, that uh, in studies uh, that um, and from the documents uh, of corporations such as Facebook uh, that they are very specifically trying to use um, digital psychological mechanisms to get people to emotionally want to uh, ignore privacy concerns and hand over more of their data and have less control over their data. Um, and that's been going on for quite some time. And so it's more of an erosion issue mm. that over time you could have an erosion. It might not end up looking like China. Um, once again, I like the idea of what that was being illustrated in Gattaca, where it was the free market system, which just kind of made the situation where the augmented humans ended up having all the really nice jobs and the unaugmented humans didn't and it was just a capitalism at work that was creating that tension um, and instead of a government saying it had to be this way. Hmm. Well, that's all the questions that I have for you today. Is there anything that you think uh, is important to add um, on either genetic modification or the social credit system? Well, as a social studies teacher, I would just always emphasize that as people go out into the world that the decisions that we make as a society will be having real impacts on your life and so it's important to be politically engaged it's important to pay attention to the news so that you can make your own decisions on how to vote so that the direction that our society goes in is one that you would actually want to see and not have things just kind of creep up on you and then before you know it you are um, experiencing things that you didn't expect to have happen um, and you might feel a loss of control that otherwise could have been stopped if you had voted otherwise. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that everybody should be an active participant in elections and just voting for laws and things like that. Um, so I definitely agree with that. Um, well, thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Um, and yeah, I hope you guys liked the podcast. I hope you loved it. And I'll catch you in the next one.